What you well, don't want to talk a- about MK Ultra for the next two hours? What's up? I said you don't want to talk about MK Ultra for the next two hours. Well, whatever. Um, I have sports to talk about here. So, but uh, yeah, no, I mean, now you and I always talk about that stuff, but you kind of went, man, you went little uh, people, you know, on the radio back in the day would say, you're a conspiracy theorist. The only even close to conspiracy I thought of was that Lee Harvey Oswald didn't act alone. Like that, that's a conspiracy, y'all. Yeah. Been proven right in 2023. So thank you. Well, there's documentation that Charlie Manson was a part no, of there is. This, uh, this mind control program that the CIA was putting on in and around San Francisco in the mid-1960s. And sure enough, by the end of that decade, he essentially sh- shut down the decade with the, uh, with the mass murders that he and his followers committed. I guess technically he didn't commit any of the mass murders. His followers did. But he was uh, very much in cahoots on that one. That idea sounds insane and, you know, straight up conspiracy. Unless you realize you're talking about the CIA in the 60s or the CIA from the 60s or probably 50s on. So one of the best books that I've read in the last By the five way, I'm years. I'm fans of y'all, so we're all good. One of, the, one of the best books I've read in the last five years is called Chaos. I'm meaning to suggest this book to you i don't think i have up to this point but it's written by this guy tom o'neill and it started out as what was supposed to be like a ten thousand word article for rolling stone but tom o'neill kept stumbling upon people in researching this piece for the i guess at the time it would have been the 40 year anniversary of the manson murders or maybe it was a 30 year anniversary of the manson murders he kept stumbling upon witnesses and then also declassified documents that just blew the whole thing wide open and led to him writing this book that really didn't get popular until Joe Rogan interviewed him for the very first time. But within his investigation, he found this guy, Jolly West, who was one of the main perpetuators of this mind control program by the CIA. Well, Jolly West visited um, Jack Ruby after Ruby murdered Oswald in the courthouse and before Jolly West went in jail cell jail cell to supposedly it, it wasn't the courthouse the where where uh, Oswald was murdered yeah oh really it was the jail, jail cell yeah which also shows you that cops let Ruby in there I mean that there's you know wow there's a lot of stuff yeah, that's crazy. So anyhow, Jack Ruby gets arrested, and after that... Um, I think he was going to the courthouse. It was outside the jail, or inside, but outside of the cell, and that's when he came up to him. So it was in the police station then? Yeah, probably. Um, so I Jack don't know if there was a police station there, but I mean, there was obviously cells there. So Jack Ruby ends up in, the, um, in jail after that, and so the prosecutor sends in Jolly West, who, who was a psychologist, actually. I think it was actually a, an OU psychologist who just yeah. so happened to also be working for the CIA, helping to direct their mind control program. Well, Jolly West goes in to uh, visit and to check on Jack Ruby to see how, how capable he is of defending himself in trial. And Jack Ruby had his wits about him, as much as one can, who is uh, willing to commit murder uh, for the government, 
when Jolly West went in, when he came out, all of a sudden uh, Jack Ruby had lost his mind. And so the belief or there's a theory that Jolly West went in there and slipped him LSD or some other uh, psychedelic drug and then stayed with him and essentially led him to a point of insanity to where he was no longer himself after that. The book itself is fascinating. I'm probably not doing the summary justice. I do recommend it, though. If you're looking for a good piece of reading that really busts the narrative that had been created about the Manson murders so many years ago by the prosecutor of those murders, a guy who uh, very clearly was also operating on an agenda, uh, then I suggest you go pick up Chaos by Tom O'Neill. And welcome to another edition of Longhorn Misfits here <laughs> on Texas Sports Unfiltered. I am Trey Elling, Kevin Dunn, back at his apartment right now. How you doing today, buddy? Good. There were two uh, Texas women there. Uh, Texas women who were a part of the Manson family? Uh, yeah. Who actually yeah, then, committed the murders with Sharon Tate. And then there was also a guy named Tex, who I believe was also from Texas, too. Yep. So I've met people throughout the years that knew them. Really? What did they have to say about them? The one of the women, they said, oh, she was complete Texas girl and just kind of, I guess, went off the reservation to some degree. Um, and the other one, I forgot what they said about her, but I did some people in the new text, too. And so, I mean, I don't totally remember. We we're probably, you know, boozing somewhere in South Padre. But um, but it was, but it was definitely interesting that I've ran into enough people that either knew them in high school or didn't know them well, but knew of them that it's kind of, you know, weird to have that connection. Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure one or two of them went to high school with uh, Jimmy Johnson and Janice Joplin. Yeah. I don't know if I, I think there was someone from that town. I don't think went to high school with them. We told me that because I knew that way before most people did because Janice Joplin too, obviously was awesome, you know? So my mom saw her. Gosh, your mom and dad, they yeah. uh, they saw some legendary figures back in the day before they were yep. seen as legendary. Yeah, and they parked for free, probably went in for free, got as many beers if they wanted. If none, they didn't have to buy one, and uh, and there was no traffic, and people were nice. You know, it's all about timing in life. Who was it that your dad went to begrudgingly see back in like the 1960s in Chicago? Was it George Carlin? The night after Carlin had been arrested on stage in Milwaukee. So he did do that night after, but he wanted to go to that. Okay. He begrudgingly went and was dragged by friends to go see pretty shitty guitar player guy named, um, I believe James Hendrix. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I don't want to. Yeah. The funny thing, too, is that, like, it always got Chad, you know, who loved Hendrix so much. That when I asked my dad, I go, well, how was he? He goes, it was really good. It was really, really good. You know, like, like if we saw a pretty good stand-up, you go, how was he? It was good. It was good. Is it Carlin Hicks like that? No, 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 but it was good. Yeah, that, that falls slightly above your dad's ranking of it was cute. So at yeah. least you didn't get the it was cute moniker. Right. No, but then I, then I, of course, I pressed him and he goes, no, he was really good. He goes, I don't know about playing the guitar, but it sounded good. <laughs> I was like, do you yeah. light it on fire? He goes, yeah, you lit it on fire. I'm like, pretty good. 
Yeah, that's fair. Look, I've seen Gary Clark a lot over the years. I don't know how to play guitar, but when I watch Gary play, I'm like, yeah, this guy, even though I know nothing about playing guitar, this guy's really good at it. Yeah, I mean, it's watching Shanahan, not this week, um, scheme something open and they're wide open and someone's at the Super Bowl and they go, touchdown you go yeah you have no idea how brilliant that was to scheme that open. yeah shanahan's job gets a lot more difficult without christian mccaffrey and debo samuel in the game i know i'm shocked mccaffrey's out no i mean he, he's like jalen cattle i was waiting for it and it's a yeah. matter of time and i hope it's not too long and it sounds like catalan's not it sounds like he's practicing but yeah i mean mccaffrey oblique Dude, we're in October, um, getting on November. So it is disappointing with Catalan that they essentially handled him with kids' gloves all the way until the Oklahoma game. Like they didn't even have to overuse him in the Alabama game, but they waited to the Oklahoma game to really deploy him, and he couldn't even make it through three quarters of that game. Yeah, um, and and it was funny because you heard different stuff that people that cover the program that do a really good job saying that they're going to unleash him at OU and they've almost been saving him for that. Almost knowing that I'm guessing it's the shoulder is in terms of his previous injuries that they're worried about that. I don't know what he has now, Um, but we're going to save him. We also know what type of player he is. He's a bull. Like he, you know, he, he, he's a B, you know, if you lose your stinger, you're done. You wonder if how much of that is on him, though, not modifying his. Hey, Brad, I'd appreciate not getting text as, as Trey and I are performing and doing our show. So um, this is only taking away my attention. <laughs> um, Jalen Catalan, he knows how he plays, and he also knows how injury prone he is. So can't you go like 80%? of what you normally do and still be similarly effective, but also stay out on the field for an extra game or two guys like that. Can't it's what makes him so good as downhill pursuer against the run and everything guys like that. Can't, I mean, can you tell Michael Jordan to stop smoking cigars and gambling? Yeah. I mean, even, I mean, you can, but is it going to work? I mean, is he going to cut back? No. I mean, even his dad getting whacked for unpaid gambling debts didn't stop him. Right. Boy, you're on fire today. I mean, put the tinfoil hat on, motherfucker. Do we need to get? Do we need to get into Ray Lewis? What happens? I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't say Ray Lewis wouldn't bullshit. I'm saying I'm not. I'm not saying Michael's not either. I mean, you've given me enough facts to point that way, but just let it go, right? Yeah, you know, you put the comment out there, so I had to. I had to knock it home. Let's uh let's talk a little bit of baseball. I'm gonna be hopping off here for a few minutes and then back on after four. But the Texas Rangers have still not lost a game in these 2023 playoffs after hanging on to beat the Astros yesterday in game two of the ALCS five to four. Rangers offense gets it going early against Framber Valdez who is just pitching this postseason in a glass case of emotion. They had another run in the second. And ultimately, those five runs in the first two innings are enough yeah. to a uh, pretty gutsy effort by Nathan Eovaldi, including in the fifth. The base is loaded. 
and I believe one out, he gets out of that jam, pitches another inning, and then this Rangers bullpen, which was justifiably maligned during the season, was able to hold up pretty darn well between Sorbitz, Chapman, who does give up the home run to Alvarez, and then you get Jose LeClerc coming in for another four-out save to finish off a 5-4 win to Texas and a 2-0 lead heading back to Arlington for the next three games. Yeah, and throwing 11 straight balls because you can say, I mean, because because against Abreu, the first one was outside, way outside. Yeah. And that guy's zone expanded as the game went on. So he actually, you were like, oh, you know, next eight balls after the first strike. No, I mean, the first 11 balls he threw were balls. So Chaz McCormick bailed them out. Um, McCormick was swinging at everything. And the three splitters that Evaldi threw him, dude, you, I mean, I know you and Pena and Diaz are aggressive and go first. You guys got to hold your horses. And by the way, if the guy hadn't thrown a fucking strike, make him throw one. You make him throw. You may make him throw two. I really no, I mean, you know what? I mean, you have to throw two strikes before you consider swinging. Absolutely. Um, and those guys were going too uh, too far too quickly. Sorry, I'm trying to set up my mic. I need to get a new table here. I'm trying to set up my mic to where it's it's closer, but I'm pumping it. Um, first off, hell of a game. Someone who didn't have a dog in the fight. I realized I really want this to go seven because I was rooting for the Rangers in game one and rooting for the Astros yesterday. So we'll find out the true serum when we get to game seven, what I really think. And I'll let y'all know. I'll be honest. And, you know, I kind of don't want to say the Astros, but it may be then because I really wanted them to win yesterday. I think it still sets up for a long series because of the way that Texas and Houston have played. Mm -hmm. But this was so big for them psychologically. Then more than almost anyone in professional sports, if you're playing in a semifinal, to get up early and to get out early. And Jonah Heim, his reaction behind the plate in game one on some of, and boy, that was a master class of pitching right there. You know, that's why I've said Montgomery's their number one. I don't care who's there because, I mean, he's really taken it to a different level, but on a couple of the big strikeouts that he had, you could hear Heim, yes, and pumping his fist. I mean, that's college baseball, you know, high school baseball s that to show that. You almost don't want to show that. But they knew that, hey, you know, we've gotten dominated in this series over the last seven, eight years, and this year even. So we've got to prove that we can play and they came out hot, and they came out pitching really well. Uh, this has been – there's a lot of stuff I want to get to in, in the first two games, but this has been fun to watch so far. And give the Rangers credit. They did exactly what they needed to do. They're even nervous right now up 2-0. No one's nervous up 2-0. But you're going back there where they outscored you 39-10 to and are hitting the shit out of the ball. Yeah. I mean, look, I said with BK a little bit earlier – that it's nice to be up 2-0, but I've watched this Rangers team over the last couple of months now, and I've seen how quickly things seem to turn on a dime for them and their ability to perform or their ability to screw things up. So taking into account how good the Astros have been on the road this year versus at home, there's a good chance we see Houston win the next three games, and then Texas is going to have to win two more in Houston in order to finish this series off. And I think... 
it's not best case scenario, but I think a scenario that I wouldn't be completely unhappy with is if Texas takes one of the next three in Arlington and then only has to win one of the next two in Houston to advance to the World Series. You mean one of the next three in Houston, then then Arlington, right? One of the next three in Arlington, because the next three games are in Arlington. Right, Arlington. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm getting yeah, good. Right. So if they if they can even take one of the next three. Yeah, agreed. Totally agree. I feel good about their chances of closing it out. It's been crazy. I've talked about the batter side. Something's going on in Houston. That's a great crowd. I mean, if I had to rank crowds right now, I would rank. I mean, Philadelphia is is you're playing at one a.m. in Baton Rouge. You know, <laughs> um, I mean, that is that's a different level there. Um, but then Houston, and I think tech. You know, the thing about Texas is I've only seen them in this park four times when anything means anything and they got sweat 39 10 on those. So you're sitting on your hands. I get it. And they sounded really great in the one playoff game they played there. I, I think that's going to be a, I think place is going to be jumping and you've got nothing to lose. You put your, you walked in like you have nothing to lose. You get up 2-0, and now you can really play like you have nothing to lose. Cause if you lose, we're up two one. That's right. A um, couple other things. I mean, there's a lot of things. I think the defense, you know, we talked about Evan Carter coming up, how big he's been. The funny, you know, funny thing is the really the back, the back part, the bottom three of the lineups has been edge Rangers. The Rangers have had a more complete lineup. And by that, I mean, not only bottom seven, actually, or bottom three, I should say. Yeah. Kyle Tucker is so in his head right now, as someone who most of my swings, I get what he's doing, but Kyle Tucker was one of the top five, top 10 hitters in the sport this year. That's not hyperbole. He's that good. He's a 30-30 guy. And you can just tell he is so tied up. He also went Cal Ripken Jr. and changed his batting gloves. Then, you know, because he had gone bare hand, then he'd gone to batting gloves this year, then took him off, then went back to him. That tells you right there psychologically where he is. He's got to clean that up quickly. Altuve has not been that good. And and McCormick, Pena, and Diaz, when Diaz actually comes in, I thought it was a good move by Dusty bringing him in in the fifth. All you got to do is hit a fly ball, man. And um, these guys seem to be not hot right now or in a cold stretch, as whereas the Rangers – Leoti, who hit what 230 this year and struggled, has struggled since he came up and been back and forth. He's red hot. And Young looks really good. Jonah Heim is getting the swing back. Nate Lowe with a really smart swing, knowing where the hole was yesterday. Their lineup's better right now, and they're playing better baseball. Yeah, Taveras has been the best hitter in the series other than Alvarez, and right. that's really not fair to compare Alvarez to anybody because of yeah. how hard he hits the baseball, even when he's dealing with a bad case of the squirts, which apparently was the uh, the case yeah. in game one. But uh, Taveras has been great for Texas, and that is, I mean, if you're getting production out of him at the bottom of the order, that is found money for this yeah. lineup. That is really good top to bottom, but as you said, Taveras wasn't that great of a hitter during the season. Plays good defense in center field and uh, is okay for a bottom of the order guy, but he's not a dude that you expect to be the best hitter in your lineup through two games of the ALCS. But that's one of the fun things about playoff baseball, though. 
You can never predict who the heroes are going to be. No, no, you can never predict who's going to be hot either. And so Texas, I mean, Philly and Texas are the two hottest teams right now. And so Houston can turn that around. But part of that turning around, it's not like guys still look like they're taking good swings. Kyle Tucker is in a rut right now. Mm-hmm. Mentally is in a rut. You just tell the way he's looking at the ball, swinging. Altuve, and Altuve's, that may be one of the most complicated but also fun arguments with baseball people. Where does he rank as your top second baseman? He's a 307 hitter all time. He's a 200 homer, almost 300 stolen bag guy. He's got, you know, he's a shit show on the base pass, as he's shown this series and has been his whole career. But he's pretty good defensively. I, mean, I don't know. I mean, Alomar, Sandberg, I'm going through the guys in our lifetime, obviously outside of Hornsby and even Joe Morgan. Um, Jeff Kent would be up there, Chase Hutley. But, I mean, I think he's right up there. But this guy is is just gambling and guessing right now, and it's not working. All right, guys, I am going to step away. I will talk to you shortly after four. Cool. Yo, yo, yo. How are you? Good stuff. Good conversation. Uh, yeah. I, I'd put Ian Kinsler somewhere in that. No. But... You know what? You laughed at that. So I researched just last night to make sure I wasn't totally going nuts here. Yeah. And was more thinking about it on my own. Um, so I was like, it comes up, it comes up. But Kinsler is up there. I mean, in, in, in our lifetime, and I'll start yeah. with Trey, but certainly, so that counts you, you know, by a couple of years. Um, that, yeah, I mean, he, he's right up there. Sandberg probably is the best. I, my eyes would tell me Alomar's the guy I want the most. Utley, when he was healthy and really got going, he didn't really get going until his 26 is up there. But, yeah, Kinsler, Craig Biggio is another name that, that I forgot to mention that you could argue is right up there. But, um, I mean, Altuve's been that good, man. And, yeah. you know, I mean, BK, are you seeing what I'm seeing? Obviously, you know, Helen Keller sees that Kyle Tucker struggling with his swing right now. Yeah. Have you seen the same thing with Altuve and like he's letting breaking balls because he's just guessing right now? Yeah. Go I mean, over there right over the middle. I think he's one for his last 17. So the eye test, but also the stats tell you that Altuve is in a bad way right now. And yeah, he's sitting 160 in these playoffs. He's got an OPS of 472 in these playoffs. And that's two postseasons in a row where Jose Altuve hasn't been himself, right? I mean, he's He's second all time in home runs in the postseason behind Manny Ramirez. Like we're talking about a postseason legend here. But last year in the playoffs, he wasn't good. And the Astros almost won in spite of him. He had a couple of moments in the World Series, but in the DS and the CS, he was a non-factor at the plate. And then this year, too. I mean, he once again won for his last 17. So it's weird. I mean, this guy is usually as clutch as can be. And in these playoffs to this point, the Astros are not getting anything from their leadoff hitter. And that is a major, major stunner. Yeah, it is. Cause you've got him and, and he sets the table. And then you've got on the flip side, you've got Tucker who's there. Um, Chaz McCormick had some awful at bats last night, you know, yeah. the three split fingers that Evaldi threw him were not close. And it's cool. If you're looking to ambush, like the Phillies did last night, first ball, fastball, you're going to lay it over. I'm hitting it out, right? All right, you got me on a split, which is meant to look like a fastball and dips and dives at the end. But then you've got to be at least aware of that. 
And oh, two, what do you think he's going to with that? Right. Yeah. And Chaz. in the dirt, man. I know. Chaz dominated the Rangers, too. He was a Ranger killer during the regular season. So, yeah, I mean, Chaz was was great. That was a big topic of conversation amongst Astros fans. Was Chaz McCormick just not being an everyday player for like the first three and a half months of the season? He finally got more playing time, and he rewarded Dusty Baker by having a great season. But, yeah, he uh, he looked lost last night. The power hasn't been there for him in these playoffs. And, you know, it's Chaz is important. You talked about Jeremy Pena earlier. Like, he's important. We know what he did in the playoffs last year, winning CS and World Series MVP. But the two guys that you've talked about the most, those are the two guys that need to figure yeah. it out. The Astros aren't yeah. winning if, if Altuve and yeah. Tucker don't get it together. And you said it like, Tucker's done this a lot, right? Where he goes, no batting gloves to batting gloves. But it's it's one thing to do it in May when you're struggling and you've got 600 at-bats over the course of a season to get it together. It's another thing to be so in your head and so lost up there to where you're doing it in the middle of a CS game that is really important to try to avoid your team going down 0-2. Like, that guy is a non-factor right now. And if, hell, I think they need both of them to win this series. But if neither of them figure it out then this thing might be yeah it might be over in arlington like they might not be playing another game in houston this year no it's done you could could, because at that point you can really work around alvarez who's not human trey said earlier that Tavares may be the best hitter outside of alvarez he's the best human hitter in this series so far yeah alvarez is is not human at all got the squirts and you're hitting two bombs out and including you know the funny thing was is that like if you look at the catcher and especially the slider he threw that Chapman threw to him. And stop, stop, stop having Chapman throw a slider or split finger to open up an account or open up an account to open. What what is my mind on to uh, to um, to open up? You know, a count. Um, it's go ahead and go with the fastball. If you get to two strikes and the guy's chasing, then drop the splitty and make sure he drops it or really bury a slider. But. That was actually he hit his spot low and outside, and Alvarez yeah. hit that out. You're you're trying to split someone and then slide in. Did I hear that right? Pretty much, pretty much. But yeah. that, that that's what's going on these days. Hey, wait till your 40s, BK. Hey, I'm I'm trying to do that yeah. too, and I'm not even 30 yet. So it's uh, I know, I know. But no, I mean I think everyone is really coming together and stepping up at the right time. It's about timing. I mean, you guys also know, y'all know. I will give the Rangers fans credit. I haven't seen it online so far, so maybe it's been there. I'm not stalking Twitter, but there are a lot of fan bases in college and pro of all sports, certainly the college ones we know, but the pro ones too, that will talk shit about their team in a very realistic, objective way. I saw all my Rangers fans who follow me and I follow on Twitter, guess what? Burying this bullpen and this team. And so you guys are not trying to come back and say, told you so. Y'all are putting your hands up and the surprise is anyone. You're just happier than everyone. And so, yeah. you know, I, I think that's it's kind of cool the way baseball works that nobody saw this coming. And and the fact the bullpen's been that good, the starting pitching has been just fantastic. Guys like Tavares are, are jumping in right now. Heim, who had kind of felt like after the All-Star break had gone down, he's chipping in. And then, you know, Seager's being Seager. Yeah. Yeah, the pitching's the big story, right? Because yeah. as streaky as the offense was during the regular year, it was still maybe the second-best offense in baseball yeah. behind Atlanta. So the fact right. that those guys are hitting 
shouldn't surprise anybody. But now the starters, I mean, we'll get to the bullpen because that was what did the Rangers in in the regular year. But the Rangers haven't had to use most of their bullpen. Like they've been able to just pitch their three guys that they have the most faith in because the starters are going six innings every single night. Yeah. That's, that's been huge. Like without DeGrom, without Scherzer, without John Gray having pitched an inning in these playoffs, the fact that the Rangers starters are going as deep into games when KD, you know, this better than anyone. I mean, in the playoffs nowadays, starters never go deep into games. Right. The fact that the Rangers are getting, you know, six to where they can go Spores, Chapman and LeClerc whenever they need to like that's, that's huge right there. So yeah, that's that's the biggest reason to me why the Rangers are seven and zero right now in these playoffs. No, I mean uh, it's gigantic, and and they, you know, it's funny they didn't really need their bullpen the first half, and so I mean they did obviously in some games, but their offense was so damn good, and that's yeah. when Heim and Low were really kicking ass. There are some guys individually that did not look that great. It's not like they look like Tucker right now where they're totally tied up emotionally and, and mentally with what you're doing. But Heim was one of them. And I, I should say this. Heim didn't look like an all-star catcher the second yeah. half. How about that? And and Tavares certainly didn't look like the five-star prospect that we all know he has that talent and at times this year did. And when all that comes together, it's great. But your point is completely right. It's about starting pitching and staying away from your bullpen. And even their bullpen, you know, amazing stat, they have 33 blown saves and 30 saves on the year. No one in the history of baseball has made the playoffs, not ALCS up 2-0, made the playoffs with more blown saves than saves. Wow. And, and so even if you just three guys, you're still like, still worried. Last night with Leclerc, I felt a little iffy. Every time Chapman comes in, y'all can't lie to me. Y'all feel iffy. I know that. And you're waiting for him to blow up and walk three guys in a row. The fact that it hadn't been there and they're just getting better and the starters have limited the chances of that happening to where it's not, like you said, having to go to Dane Dunning in the fourth or Haney. And then we go to Zvors in the sixth. And can Chapman maybe give us two? What? two pitches or two, two innings. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. Like they've set themselves up so well. I did feel like last night it almost felt like the Astros and I get it. It's baseball ran out of time. Like th- there were not many pitches left for Leclerc. I oh. felt like the way he was in the eight, you know, dude. if, if the Astros tied that up and forced extra innings, then they were going to win no that game. Yeah. 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 Zero doubt in my mind. And uh, Chapman, man, that's, that's what's going to be interesting about these next three games because it's three in a row. You know, Chapman's been good this year, but he's been awful when pitching on back-to-back days. Mm-hmm. So he pitched in game one, scoreless inning, all good. Pitches in game two. He did get the first two guys out, thankfully. So Jordan came up with nobody on base, uh, but obviously he gives up that home run to Jordan, and the numbers for uh, Chapman pitching on back-to-back days have been bad. So for the Rangers, like that's a decision for Bruce Bochy. Like, okay, you would think good Chapman could be there for game three, but what about game four? And then maybe game five. Like, do you have the confidence in that dude to pitch him two, maybe three days in a row? I sure as hell don't. I don't think most Rangers fans want to see that either. No, I mean, like you said, the numbers are there. I was kind of surprised he came in last night. And last night after the first two guys – 
or would have been one of the first two guys he faced for Alvarez. Man, he had three balls on him, and 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 he painted it. It was paint. It it, it was a strike, but it was right there on the black. And I thought, man, with your control, like I don't know if you meant to do that, but hmm. if you you know get one guy on with Alvarez, I mean Alvarez is so good now. We're not surprised that he takes a slitty out to right. You know. Yeah. The funny thing is, going into that at bat last night. Jordan Alvarez was 0 for 5 with four strikeouts against Chapman. Like, was he really? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. As it was actually before game one, it was 0 for 4 with four Ks. Jordan had that weak ground out in the eighth inning of game one. So that was the first time he'd even put the ball in play against Chapman. But obviously, he just needed one pitch. And man, I like, I'm with you. Chapman probably start with the fastball, but hell, I'm sure Jonah Heim or whoever called that pitch is like, well, let's see. Jordan just turned on a 95 mile an hour fastball earlier. Yeah. So maybe we'll try something else. And then, I mean, like you said, the dude's not human. Like, I, you can't walk him in that spot because it's a two run game. You can't bring the tying yeah. run to the yeah. plate. But, like, shoot, that guy should be getting 01 to 04 Barry Bonds treatment in big spots. Like, if you could put him on anywhere, put him on somewhere. I don't even say pitch around him. Like, just put that dude on first base, put up the four and face somebody else. Yeah, I mean, I agree in that situation. You can't, though, um, as you said. I mean, if you're blowing, still blowing 100, though, like I try and get inside and up. Yeah. And whether it's off the plate, that's fine. Now, I understand Himes thinking I don't want to get 2-0 on this guy. You know, but if you're going to throw the slider or the splitty, it's got to be out of the zone. The guy covers every quadrant. So 100 at the top left quadrant that nips the zone, we'll probably get him. And you're probably going to miss. Um, but uh, th there's not much to do with him right now. But, yeah, he got out of it. LeClerc got out of it. LeClerc was – I mean, he he got a generous call on a Brave. That was like 11 straight balls for him. Yeah, I heard you talking about that with Trey. Yeah, the ump, the ump didn't have a great zone to start, but it just got bigger and bigger as the night yeah. went on, didn't it? Yeah. Like same, both ways. Same, same thing with the Phillies game. Yep. That soon got bigger and bigger in the eighth and ninth inning. These guys have reservations at some place. And it's like, you know, they're a typical old man. Just get me out of here now. Yeah. You know? Yeah. They got reservations with their hotel room bed at, right, uh, exactly. right after the game. Maybe a little Skinamax on TV. Never know. So, so oh God. Is Skinamax, <laughs> is Skinamax still around? It's uh, every once in a while you get lucky. I check every TV guide for every hotel that I go to, but uh, every once in a while I'll strike gold. BK, you can get on your laptop and watch porn that at 11 years old I, I would I, I dreamt of. Yeah, but it's just different on late night Skinamax or HBO. It just hits. Yeah, it's a lot worse. Yeah, but the nostalgia turns me on. I don't know how it works. Now you like the plots, huh? Oh, I'm all about the plots, man. I like. What kind of yard work is this guy doing? And is he going to actually do the work? Like, when does that get done? He was not coming over to do this, okay? He was coming to mow the grass. Is that getting done? Who's getting the invoice? Who gets paid? How much does he charge? I need to know these things. Does the husband come home? Does he not come home? What's the deal? I was thinking, like, why didn't she call back to ask for more pepperoni when there was already pepperoni on the pizza? That's a fair question, too. I mean, yeah. they got the order wrong. You're supposed to, you know, shouldn't shouldn't something be done about that? But, man, I checked. There was pepperoni, pepperoni on it. Oh, I know. 
Come on in, big boy. Mm, God, I got to start delivering pizzas. <laughs> That's what I learned from that story right there. Well, if Texas keeps losing, you may be. Yeah, no kidding. How about this one before we shift gears and maybe get into some football? Uh, we won't have you on tomorrow, so this is the last time that people will get to hear from you before game three. Max Scherzer, it's official. He's getting the ball for the Rangers tomorrow night, going up against Christian Javier. I think Astros fans should be feeling good about tomorrow for a few reasons. Number one, you're on the road. You've been way better outside of Houston this year. You yep. talked about that sweep and the fact that the Astros are 6-1 and one in Arlington this season, so they should feel confident going inside the Gilf. And then Christian Javier is like one of the better statistical postseason pitchers ever. He's ridiculous this time of the year. What do you think of Max Scherzer? We know what he's done. We know he's a future Hall of Famer, but he's missed a month. It's his first start in a long time. Simulated games are one thing, but this is the playoffs going up against the freaking Astros. Uh, what do you think the Rangers can expect out of that dude tomorrow? Well, I, I do think, first off, the Astros are going to be confident and disgusted going into the Gilf, as any man should be. Mm, well done. Yep, Thank it's you. nice and warm in there, too. Well, you hope so. Yeah. He's got to break up the cobwebs. <laughs> but if it's cold, you better check for a pulse. <laughs> you don't want any part of that deal. No, nah, I'm not going to say it. Yes, you're right. <laughs> you're right. Uh, no, I, I think they're going to be confident going in. I mean, Scherzer, it's weird. I, getting back to your point, the fact they only use three guys helps out so much, and you get the day off, that you've got John Gray – and you've got Andrew Haney and Dane Dunning all to play with him. Oh. And so you're treating this as if he gives you three innings, maybe four innings. I think he went, what, 60 pitches in the the batting practice or live uh, semi did. I got to check that. Maybe, yeah, I read it. I think it's 60. And, and maybe thought is get him to 75, you know, if he's pitching well, obviously. But he'll know pretty quickly. But the fact just getting him out there is big, and it'll shorten this game for the relievers. And you've got starters. You've got to set up and let them know, hey, John or Andrew, third inning, we're going to you. Yeah. So, you know, in between the first inning, whatever you need to do to get into your – because a lot of times starters getting warm, they're not relievers. They're not used to it. And they need time. They need a plot like you with porn. <laughs> uh, they need a fresh start. You know, they can't walk into a messy situation. It's got to be houses yeah. clean, beds yeah. made. It's all good. Then you walk in there. That's what they're looking hey, for. Look, you can have kids, but I don't want them to still be a husband. Mm. I like that. Mm. Speaking of kids, one of my best friends had a kid yesterday. Or I guess his wife did. And it it's it's made me think, man. It really has. Like about what? Might be time to change my ways, you know. Well, I agree with that, but I'm not sure having a kid's a way to start with that. Oh no, I was just gonna say I might have to start wearing condoms more. <laughs> that that might be the life change I need to make. It's like, oh shoot. One of my best friends, a guy who lives like three minutes away from me here in Austin, like I saw him last Thursday. We got dinner together because we knew I might not see him for a while. And Oh, was this. it not planned? No, it was planned. It was planned. Married, okay. everything. Like, it's just, you know, you, I feel like some people, when they have kids, they kind of disappear for at least a little bit while the kid's a baby. 
They do. It's the only reason I've ever wanted to have kids. <laughs> yeah, you get to stay home and not do anything. Great excuse to disappear. Oh man, I mean, you you liked COVID more than anybody else in the world. Oh, I think. Loved it. Loved it. You know, I could put down my pad, my Seinfeld pad of excuses, and just be like, "Dude, <laughs> I, you know what? I care about you. Yes, that's why I'm not doing this." I heard uh, you've got a flight booked to Wuhan at some point soon. Do I have that correct? <laughs> Just to try yeah. to bring it back. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna try to bring it back. I'm gonna start um in the lab, <laughs> dumbass my part, and then I'm going to the animals. <laughs> oh man, good stuff. Text line 512-222-9328. That's the code of text line if you want to chime in on uh, anything that we're talking about. Having some fun, like uh, old time sake, man. Always enjoy chopping it up with KD on these yeah, airwaves. No doubt. And, uh, yeah, baseball obviously in full swing. All right, before we get to football, though, you brought up the uh, NLCS. Phillies, man, they they homered their way. And that's another impressive thing with what the Rangers did. It was almost like – I can't call it Augie ball because they weren't bunning people over or anything like that. But, like, I think the team that has more homers has won, like, 16 of the 18 MLB playoff games to this point or something ridiculous like that. And one of the two losses was actually the Astros last night, right? They had the three homers. Yeah. The Rangers only had the uh, the one. And on that first inning where the Rangers scored four off of Fromber, they didn't hit a long ball. It was just kind of a bunch of singles stacked up on top of each other. But the Phillies, they used the long ball. Two homers in the first. Castellanos hit a homer in the second. They got to Zach Gallon early, and they held on for a uh, game one win. Phillies are good, man. I heard you talking to Trey about that crowd earlier, like – did the D-backs have a chance in this series, or is this is this just Philadelphia's that good right now? I, I picked Philly before the whole Final Four to win the whole thing, no matter who wins out of the Astros and Rangers. They just they have a feel right now. No. Um, and when you know Zach Wheeler is also the best starting pitcher still left, and I think a lot of Verlander, I think a lot of Montgomery, I think a lot of hell Evaldi the way he's pitching. Um, so. Framber, I would. Framber is the best stuff still available. Framber is a mental midget right now. And he's got to dial in. And you know this cover in Houston stuff. It's way too up, way too down. You can't throw a a no-no and then follow it up with giving up six runs in the first inning because someone bobbled the ball and you got all mind-fucked. And that's where he is. Yeah, I think Framber is more affected by the pitch clock than maybe any other player in baseball. Great, great point. Remember, he used to rub his forehead and do deodorant, would brush his teeth. It was like between every pitch, right? He he would have like minute-long conversations with himself behind the mound whenever he got into jams, and it got him back on track. I think it maybe messed with the rhythm of the offense. And I was wondering, hell, we were all in Houston when I was doing radio down there. Like, okay, who's the pitch clock going to affect the most? Altuve was a guy that we thought could be affected. He had a great season once he got back from injury. But he's the guy who, like, not no Mar Garcia Parra like him between pitches, but he would take his time during at-bats. But, yeah, Fromber, maybe more than any pitcher in baseball, would just take his time and just calm himself down when he needed to you don't have that luxury this year and you got to adapt it's not an excuse it's we're a full year into this thing you should have it figured out but i think that might be a part of why it's been such a roller coaster ride for fromber this season that is a fantastic point i've been watching it as a fan but hadn't really thought about it and you're exactly right now that i think about him before yeah he, he would take that time so that's definitely 
played a part. But getting back to Philly, I think Zach Wheeler's the best pitcher. Aaron Nola is really elevating well. Their bullpen's the lights out. I mean, you know, it's almost funny. Kimbrell's the, of the yeah, I trust him the least right now. They've yeah. got, you know, whether it's Sir Anthony Dominguez, what is it, Bob Odenkirk? That's not that name, but the Odin, your Durky, your Rookie, Kirky, Sirky, Jerky, not, 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 not Jerky. Um, mm-hmm. He is lights out. Like their bullpen is really set up well. They've got lefties, they've got righties, they can mix, they can match. Um, but it, obviously it's about their offense and kind of the feel of that team. They're playing good defense and you go around just the way they play. Bohm's playing pretty well now. Getting Trey Turner going was huge, but Philly would be the team. Do I think Arizona has a chance? Yeah, they do. The best thing with home crowds like that, and they only have one more there before they go back to Arizona for three, is you can take them out if you get up early. And that's what Arizona has done the whole postseason. Milwaukee is the best starting staff in the playoffs, and they ambushed them and went after their ass. And took that uh, – Milwaukee's a great crowd. Took that crowd out. Um, and then, obviously, with L.A., did the same thing. So, I they just got to get up early. If they get up early and tie this thing, they got to clearly have a shot going back to Arizona. The problem with Arizona is Arizona is not – like it's not a great home crowd to me. No. No, it's not. We'll see. Game two of that one tonight. Yeah, the Phillies are – on another level right now, Turner's been great. Bryce Harper's been Bryce Harper. Castellanos is hitting a homer seemingly every game. Schwarber hasn't had a great playoffs, but he hit the bomb last night. Maybe that gets him going a little bit more. That's a scary team, man. That is a scary, scary team right now, and they're uh, obviously on a mission after the way their season ended last year. They're trying to take that next step and win the whole damn thing. So, yeah, the D-Bags run has been great, but I – like I, I think I said Phillies in five before this series started. Like yeah. I, I'm not giving Zona much of a chance here. I think that's probably the way to go. I mean, if I did that right now, I, I would bet that even though they're obviously up one nothing. But Stott and Marsh, you know, I always look at these secondary guys. Those huh? not the stars, but how good are those guys? And how well are they playing? And how do they play? How do they fit into the puzzle of what the sum of the team is? And those guys are great. Stott's got the best arm of any second baseman we've seen in years because he's a shortstop. You saw him turning the double play last night. But then Bones a good example. And these guys are all coming together. And the money they paid, man, they paid for Harper, Castellanos, Turner, Real Muto. Money's showing up, man. That, that's what we're talking about with Tucker and those guys. They may not be being paid, those guys, or Altuve, but they're money guys. you got to show up. Spending helps. I mean, it doesn't guarantee anything. Just ask the Yankees over the last few years. But uh, no coincidence, the Rangers are two wins away from the World Series after they started spending. No coincidence, the Phillies are uh, on the cusp of back-to-back World Series after they started spending. Astros spend a lot. Uh, Dodgers are usually in the mix. They spend a lot. The Braves, they spend a lot. I mean, not a guarantee, but it sure as hell helps if you're willing to open up the pocketbooks to get some good players. No, it does. By the way, you're younger than me, and I'm sure you were at ACL, so I'm sure they were. this band was probably there. Um, but I see you, man. I see it. Man, I, I don't know if I've told you this, not to sidetrack you, because I do want to hear this band. You should get a man about. bun like him, by the way. Oh, God, dude. <laughs> if I ever show up with a man bun, I've either lost a bet or I need to be put in the ground. Those are the two. Those are the two things there. But whenever Kimbrel pitches, I I do this thing every time. 
even when I'm out in public, it's it's a tough, tough thing to do around women when you're just yeah. at, a, at a bar and you're doing this uh, every 30 seconds when Kimbrell gets at the pitch. It's I wish I didn't do it. Tell you what, keep on doing that. Don't worry about buying condoms, all right, man? <laughs> yeah, that's the best birth control in the history of the world right there, isn't it? <laughs> Shoot, man. All right, now I wanted uh, – yes, I was at ACL Saturday and Sunday. Shout out to yeah. Tom McKay, AV Consultations, for uh, for everything, but also for hooking me up with a ticket. It's cool to be out there for a couple of days. But what was your, uh, what was your ACL-related question? So it's not at all, but I don't know music and don't care about it. Not new music, but went to the ACL and had a ball and actually listened to new music and liked it. So there you go. Um, but that was that was years ago, PK, like four years ago. I'll there you go. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I figured it would have been like 14, so that's good. <laughs> Bryson Stott, um, the music they play when he's coming up, I don't know what the song is, and then – the rally music the Phillies had at the end of the, end of the last year in the playoffs, and they have it now at the end of the game. But more stop when he's coming up. And, of course, some director, actually producer, is trying to shove down some package that they put together all week. we got to put it in right now. No, let it breathe, man. Give me the environment. We are in – we're in Baton Rouge. Like I told you, like I said earlier, I don't need, you know – I don't need a bunch of packages. Save those. Can it for LSU against Mississippi State at 11 a.m.? Hmm. You know, we're all good. And the the, the whole crowd seems to do it. And then, the, like, the Philly fanatics going nuts, get them going. And then the, the music stops for the intro, for the at-bat, and they still sing the next verse. Like, that, that is – I mean, it's one of those really cool – it's like the Eyes of Texas – there are a lot of things like that, but I'm giving ours where someone from the outside can see it and and think, wow, this is this is almost feels religious. I just Googled Bryson Stott and then literally it auto fills to Bryson Stott walk up song. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. What is oh. it? What's it called? A OK. Oh, A-O, A-O-K. Well, that's right. where the whole crowd chants that? Yeah. It's perfect for a crowd, too. I mean, you you know, we don't need to give fast cars by Tracy Chapman here. Um, you know, <laughs> make it be simple and we can all go to it together. Do you know someone uh, remade Fast Car yeah. by Tracy Chapman? You heard the remix? Yeah, Luke Wallerberger. Luke something. Luke McCombs? Luke Whataburger. Yeah, Luke McCombs School of Business is yeah. – uh, is actually Luke something him. and I listened to it and I thought it was great. I love both. Yeah, you're close. Luke Combs, no Mick. Well done. Well, of course the Mick's gonna add a Mick, you know. Ah, nicely done. I was I was trying to put him on the board with uh Sinead and Bono and the few of our all-stars we have. Yeah, yeah, nah, he doesn't belong there. He's he's, <laughs> he's not that level. But yeah, A-OK. Uh Ty Verdes is the artist. No idea who that is but uh, it does sound cool and that philly crowd man like they're great yep you know I, i'll never root for them because they're also eagles fans i don't have any animosity towards the phillies but the problem is the people that root for them also root for my least favorite football team so i can't i can't stand them but look you got to acknowledge that that's the best home field going in baseball right now like oh look 85 percent are probably really awful human beings oh yeah yeah, yeah i yeah. would never put the percentage that high on any city um, you know, 
in Russia right now and put it that high. Uh, but yeah, on this one, I will. Yeah. You know, the, like, these, these are probably just deep in their heart, bad people, but, but it's fun to watch. Yeah, it is. It is. It is game uh, two tonight in that series in Philadelphia. The Phillies going for the 2-0 lead. The Snakes trying to even things up, going back to the desert. Game three, and that one will be Thursday night. Uh, All right, Katie, let's uh, get into some football conversation, man. Your your biggest takeaways. I don't think you and Trey talked any football before I popped on. So, man, I'll give you the floor. If you want to talk about your Niners and whatever the hell happened in Cleveland, we can get into the Cowboys last night. We could go college football, Washington, Oregon, up to you. Let's uh, because I haven't been able to talk about it. It's one of the I am that guy who who like Bucky back in the radio days who takes every Monday off and comes back on Tuesday and says, "Let me tell you about what I saw on Saturday." So I am I am I am going to do that. So y'all bear with me. I won't do it on Thursday. I promise you that. But um, but let's start with pro football in terms of the Niners. I watched a lot of that. There was an awful and 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 look the Niners lost this game. You, if you watch the second half, which is the majority of what I watched, they were dominated. They had 25 yards at one point on their last drive, and the Browns had like 140, but still, that shows you everything. The Browns are the Browns are better than, than people may think, and they beat the Niners. But, dude, did you see the call? More me being an old man on the third and 10. Perfect hit by a Niner DB. Led with this, hit him in the chest, and they called. I mean, he got a little bit, but it was and, – and, and even the nerdy mall cop they always have stationed now in the broadcast, you know, mm. the ex-official said, nope, shouldn't have called that. But, oh, Whoa, the mall cop said you shouldn't have arrested me. Wow, yeah, and the mall cop never criticizes the officials, right? No. Like. Right. They always agree with the call on the field because it's like that brotherhood, right? That fraternity. Yeah. They want to stick up for their guys. That's I mean, I only watched like the last five minutes of this game. I was at ACL and I, I found a TV that had it on and I'm like, oh, shit, close game. The Niners might lose. So I missed I missed this call. But you're telling me all I need to hear when you say the officiating expert uh, said they got it wrong. They got it wrong. So it would have been fourth and 10. It, it, they ended, it extended to the drive, but still ways to go. And the Niners just didn't – they just didn't play well. They got beat. And you can talk about McCaffrey and Debo going out. Trent Williams went out for a little bit. But they got beat. And I think it's more with Philadelphia, too, because I watched that game. And they got beat. Both teams got beat. There's no luck. You can talk about a call. That's one. I'm sure I didn't watch the first half. I'm sure the Niners got away with shit, too. So, um, like, they got beat. And I think it talks about more about the parity in pro football. I mean, I, I saw an article a week ago saying, could the Niners be the first undefeated? No, stop, stop. There's not an undefeated team walking around right now. And yeah. it certainly won't be helmed by Jalen Hurts and Brock Purdy. Okay. It would have been better than I thought. Certainly hurts. But let's also call this what it is. And so I think it talks about the parity in the NFL right now and that there is not one dominant team. Those two are the best in the NFC, no doubt about it. But, yeah, it was kind of one of those watching it, and, and the Niners still got in position, but you leave it up to a kicker in that Winfield stadium, and, yeah, he pushed it. So, yeah. 
not, you know, I'm not, you know, my main concern is the oblique, how long is that? And then also Debo, because Debo's been injured with other stuff. He's had two other nagging injuries besides the shoulder. I mean, I would give them a week off. Yeah. Give him a week off for sure. Yeah, a lot of people are dunking on Brock Purdy, and he obviously didn't play well enough to win on Sunday, but give some love to the Browns defense. Like, I saw this stat after the game, KD. I don't know if you've seen this, but the Browns threw five games because I think they've had a bye. Mm-hmm. They, they've given up the third fewest yards mm-hmm. of any defense since 1970. Like, well, that's, that. that's absurd. So, that's crazy. like, yeah, okay, not having McCaffrey – for some of the game and not having Debo for most of the game, that's going to hurt, of course. But like the Browns, that's why they went and traded for Deshaun Watson and gave up everything to get that dude. Like they knew they were ready to win, win, right? Yeah, they knew they had a defense that was ready to win. They knew they had Nick Chubb, who of course is out now, but and they knew they had Amari, and they're like, oh man, we've got like a Super Bowl roster. We just need. By a the way, by the way, it's not Nick Chubb anymore. He changed that. Nick Flaccid, what do you go with? Erection. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Chubb got canceled. All right. Apologies for that. (laughs) Full full Chubb, Nick, full Chubb. Erection. I like that. Nick Erection. Yeah, that's uh, what if you say that fast, that could get you in some trouble here. Well, not here, though. That's the beauty of Texas sports unfiltered. Yeah, that's uh, certain certain things. Maybe anywhere. Nick. Oh, 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 yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That shows yeah, you yeah. my mind's not even there. I was thinking like it would sound like dick erection, and then I ah. like, oh, no, 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 that's that's like no, uh, that, that is not cool on Texas Sports Unfiltered. Y'all. No, that's not cool anywhere. That's like uh, Steve Kerr's son, you know, Steve Kerr's son's name. Uh, he played, he's playing somewhere. What's it, Nick? Nick Kerr. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's not Nicholas either. But like, yeah, that's what sucks about that. Because Nicholas, you drop at 11. Most of them do. That yeah. one I'm keeping till I'm 90. Yeah. Nah. Yeah. So it's then, Nicholas, all right? <laughs> yeah. Don't call me anything else, please. I would please. be bad as that Simpsons guy because I always say it out loud. And maybe it's the purity of my mind. There is no discrimination or racism in there. I'm not trying to think of these things. And then I hear it. I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah. Yep, exactly. Where does he play, by the way? I don't know. I think he's a coach somewhere, like an assistant. I think he's, like, done playing, and he's following in the family business a lot earlier than his dad did. But, yeah. No, the Browns' defense is good. I don't know what the deal is with Deshaun. I don't even know if he's hurt or he's just getting massages or – they just don't. Well, that's part of being hurt. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, he's he's been hurt a lot over the course of his life, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean that's that like that team. You can't buy into that team because they still don't have the quarterback. And but that defense, man, like don't just assume Brock Purdy oh, sucks. Yeah. yeah, don't assume Brock Purdy sucks. And oh, and McCaffrey and Debo aren't there. He's not going to be anything. Like that, that is just a uh, just as much of a testament to how good Cleveland is on that side of the ball than than where San Francisco is right now. You know, I mean, the flip in a week, the, the society that turns like, you know, we we have to have a little bit of time to the you know, week ago. Brock Purdy, I was seeing way too much. how he's a top five quarterback in the league, yeah. which I don't think he is, by the way. Yeah, Talent. I don't either. Yeah, I don't either. Uh, but he he's doesn't done a great suck job. either. He's proven a lot, right? 
Yeah, I mean, shoot, he was uh, the front runner to win MVP in Vegas going into that game on Sunday, which is like, eh. But he had done his job at an incredibly high level, right? Like he was doing everything he needed to do, letting his playmakers make plays, letting that defense go out there and eat like it's been doing for years, not turning the football over. Like he has done his job really, really well uh, and had made enough throws. And that was coming off the Cowboys game where he just, I mean, everybody on the Niners did everything right against Dallas, but he was incredible in that game and was hitting his spots uh, for the entirety of the three quarters that he played on that Sunday night game. But uh, yeah, now he's, he's not top five level, but he's also, you don't need to be like, ah, he sucks. He's a bum. We got to do something about this. Like yeah. you said. And we're also still figuring it out. Like he's still a full year probably. Cause he started, yeah. you know, half of last year in. So give yeah. us some time. You, you don't need to have a, that hot of a take. I'm curious to your take on, on the Cowboys. Cause one of the things that was obvious with the Niners and the Cowboys, and I think the Niners are going to run into defenses like that that can take away what they do well. The Cowboys were not one of them. thought their defensive line played a lot better last night. That may have been part of the matchup. But, yeah. you know, the coaching was such an advantage for the Niners. And Mike McCarthy, even last night, man, to end the first half. Oh. And you've got two timeouts, and they get to, I don't know, was it the 16-yard line, the 14-yard line, the 13-yard line, maybe even the 18-yard line? It was in. It was inside the 20, for sure. Yep. Yep. Could have called timeout with eight seconds left. Still had another timeout left. So there's two things here. One, I think it speaks a lot of McCarthy, the fact that, he lets it go down to three seconds and calls timeout with one still in the bag and kicks a field goal to make it 10-7, y'all. It is not to make it 24-7. Or that he doesn't trust Dak enough, or he didn't have enough plays. Because they threw a fade later on in the game from the 30 that took three seconds to Tony Pollard, right? Or yep. four seconds. And he may have gotten bumped a little bit. Aikman talked about that. But that's what I'm looking for. Either you see that it's open and you put it up there or you throw it out of the back of the end zone, right? Yeah. I mean, it started before that, right? Because you said it. The Cowboys had two timeouts going into that stretch. There was a play. Dak completed a pass to somebody. Can't remember who. Got tackled and bounced. Instead of the Cowboys taking the timeout, they they go no huddle, but 15 seconds come off the clock. That was like with 30, 35, 40 seconds left, right? Yep. I think it was like the same thing. Call timeout. Yeah, like the guy got tackled with 35 or something, and they didn't snap it until there was like 22. And it's like, what what are you doing? What are you saving these timeouts for? It's not a Denny's Grand Slam that you can eat in the locker room at halftime, you fat ass. Like, take the timeout. And then to play for three, oh, my God. Like, what, what is Steve Sarkeesian coaching the Cowboys now? Like, I was so mad at Sark for playing for three on that third down and long against Oklahoma on that but basically the final offensive drive, I guess the second to last offensive drive for Texas in the cotton bowl. It's like, what are you doing playing for three? Like go score touchdown, win the game. And it's just, Oh my God. Yeah. It was horrible clock management. But the good news is like you said, it wasn't Kyle Shanahan on the other side. It was Brandon Staley who is just skinny Mike McCarthy, but worse. Skinny Mike McCarthy. Oh my God. No, I mean, Staley, Staley is bad and he's shown that, but McCarthy has two. 
over his career. And he's just, look, he's not the right guy. I know all y'all know that, but for all of us on the outside, you know, he's one, one, you give it a little Dan Quinn is 28, three away from winning one. Um, Dan Quinn's a much better coach and he's up in the press box for you. And I wouldn't want him as my head coach either. You know, I mean, Dallas really screwed themselves, and I'm going to get way too big picture here. But Jerry Jones turned, what, $120 million, at least, or 50 whatever it was he bought him for, into $9 billion. It's been amazing. But during that, as much as, and it's easily the biggest franchise in the NFL, with the Yankees, the biggest in North America, with Man U in the world. So all that's there. It should be to where every five or six years, he should be able to grab a McVay or Shanahan or any of these guys or Mike McDaniels, and they jump at the opportunity to live in Dallas. He pays them the highest salary. They run the show, and he can sit back and enjoy it. But he poisoned the water and pissed in it so much that none of these guys want to go there, and he's stuck having to go get a Mike McCarthy. I think he could still get those guys if he wanted to. He just holds on for too long. I mean, obviously he didn't do that with Jimmy, but I feel like if he fired Jason Garrett before he did, he could have gotten one of those other coordinators, no? I I mean, I I think for a long time, no, because they would have said, you run everything and and you're going to fuck all this up and I want more say. Yeah, that's fair. so, So he actually has a real GM now. But he still has say, man. We've seen it with him yeah. and Steven when they talk about cut days. I don't want my owner and his son in there talking about this. All right. Yeah, yeah you're we have Will. Like we have a real GM, and I'm part of this. So yeah, yeah I do think it still it still impacts him a little. Bit. Yeah. No, I mean the, the owner needs to fire the GM, right? Jerry, the owner right. needs to fire Jerry the GM. And until that happens, which I don't think will ever happen, as long as Jerry's walking the face of the earth then I'm not going to have faith in the Cowboys being able to actually win anything significant. So, uh, yeah, man, I mean, it's it's annoying. It is annoying. And, and I didn't like the Mike McCarthy hire from the jump. Like, I, I think he's a better coach than some people give him credit for, although by the week I feel worse and worse about giving him credit for that. But it's it's really simple why I didn't like the hire in the first place. You know this, I'm sure. There's never been a coach in the history of the NFL who's won Super Bowls with two different teams. Mm-hmm. If you win a Super Bowl with one team and you get fired, you should be off limits for every team in football. Not because you're a bad coach. You got to be kind of good to win a Super Bowl, but it's never happened. It's never happened. And you think yeah. that Jerry Jones led Cowboys are going to be the team to make it happen. And Mike McCarthy, the guy who was only able to win one with maybe the most talented quarterback ever, like in his prime. You think that's the guy who's going to be the dude to make it happen? So I didn't like the hire from the jump. It's why Don Shula did win the AFL with the Colts and then the championship with the Dolphins, Super Bowl Dolphins. So, but yeah, AFL though, you know, Arena Football League, American Football League, Ass Football League, whatever it is, it doesn't mean anything to me. Doesn't mean anything to me. Your point, your point is well taken, but it's more just McCarthy. Yeah. I don't know. Like if Dan Quinn, if Dan Quinn, why I bring that up is like if Dan Quinn won 28 to three, I wouldn't want him. But because he didn't, I'm like, hey, maybe there's a chance. 
And and what I would love in the perfect world, and this won't happen because the Cowboys are going to win 10 games at least this year. Yep. And they've won 12 the last two. I don't know if they're a 12-win team again, but I think they're a 10-win team again this year. They're 4-2 and two right. right now. They're fine. Uh, what I'd love to see is Mike McCarthy get fired today. Dan Quinn gets the rest of the year to audition. If he can actually lead the Cowboys to the conference championship game where they haven't been since the mid-90s, then boom, he's your coach. If not, just start over, man. Just bring in that up-and-coming guy, clean house. I know Jerry's not going to fire himself, so you can't completely clean house, but just start over, new coaching staff, new regime, and go from there. That's my perfect world. It won't happen. It won't happen, but like since Jimmy Johnson, we've seen that. And, and the one constant, the one problem with the company is Jerry trying to be a GM. And look, he gave Will Clay. I mean, I, it was obvious the draft six years ago when it stopped being all Jerry. But it's still too much Jerry. And these young guys don't want to deal with it. I'm sure there's some owner pack. I don't even know if there's a salary cap on coaches. There may be. But there's definitely an owner pack for the 32 billionaires who run together. And the only way to get in there is to be part of the clique anyway. Is... That, hey, we're not going to go because billionaires are billionaires for a reason. They're some cheap ass bastards when it comes to what they really should be paying. And most CEOs and owners are to some degree. But these guys definitely are. But it'd be so easy for him, of all people, to have grabbed McVay or Shanahan and said, So I'll pay you $20 million a year. That's nothing for me. Yeah. And, but, McVeigh, and I'm, I'm, I know some of these conversations have happened in the past. I don't know how prevalent they would be now, but dude, are you and Steven going to be running a quarter of the show even? Like, we really have to meet with you before we cut from 85 to 53? Yeah. You played football at Arkansas in 55. No one fucking cares, man. <laughs> and do you, uh, do you have to do these radio interviews every single week, please? Yes. Right. Yeah. It's a clown show. Trey, we're talking about the Cowboys clown show. And even Ooh, though they won last night. today. Well, no, I've, well, something. I haven't heard them today. But even though they won <laughs> last night, it's just like, is, is, is there any faith that this thing is actually going where it is supposed to go or where they want it to go? It sure doesn't feel that way. You can say that the win last night was a big win because the Chargers theoretically are good. But the Chargers are their own special brand of clown show with Brandon Staley in charge over there. So that win, yeah, it's nice to get back on track against a team that is supposed to compete for a division title and a division that Kansas City will win the division title. Let's be honest about that. But it's not that impressive of a win. It's nice to get back on track in a sense, but you still have a lot to prove to show people who watch this team closely that you are a true Super Bowl competitor this year. Agreed. All right, fellas. I'll be listening for the last 45 minutes. Good Thank you. you Appreciate it. God damn yeah, it. That's definitely him. That's great. That's fantastic. Happy birthday. I actually don't mind balloons. Balloons are one of those innocent things that I, I don't get the childlike awe out of them, but I still enjoy a good balloon. Is there anyone who minds balloons though? Like, I mean, how, how bad is your life where you're that negative that you hate balloons? Like, you're I'm with you. They don't do anything for me, but I've never disliked them. 
I, I assume that there probably is because there's somebody to hate just about everything in this world. Like for yeah. people who hate fireworks, I'm in that group of people who hate fireworks. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't like what, I don't like how fireworks, I don't hate fireworks. And there have been times I've liked them, but I don't get super geeked out about them. What I don't like is when it's July 4th and we haven't had water on the ground here in three months and people are shooting off fireworks because they have no idea. They're obviously not smart enough, mature enough, developed enough, give a shit enough to understand that this could cause a serious fire and burn down houses and neighborhoods and all that. For me, it's more a noise pollution thing. And I realize that I've got some sort of oral sensitivity that may some, be some, some oral sensitivity. Aural, A-U-R-A-L. I hate pronouncing that word because it sounds like oral, but it's aural. Yeah. But if oral. you say oral, it sounds like you have a speech impediment when you're right. trying to say oral. You try to say Carl, no Arl. <laughs> limit, limit. But for me, I think it's the manifestation of you know people are going to get offended if i say like my minor version of autism but it's kind of what it is like i don't like the sound of vacuum cleaners i don't like the sound of lawn mowers i don't like the sound of fireworks the air and water show pisses me off because it's just a whole lot of noise pollution i have a sound sensitivity that i also see that my son unfortunately inherited and I think that if all of us have some, some, if, if, so, if all of us males are on the spectrum in some way, shape or form, that's how my version of the spectrum manifests itself was with my, my abhorrence, my irrational hatred of certain sounds. Well, I knew, I know, uh, now know your new identity and what that would be. Which is? I don't like the sound of lawnmowers. Don't like the sound of vacuum cleaners. Don't like the sound of fireworks. You're a cat, or a cat or a dog, but really a cat. Cats are smart creatures. Yes, I'll take that one. I thought you were going to say a dog at first, and I was going to give you some pushback. There are some smart dogs out there, too, man. Depends on the breed. Because unlike, uh, unlike a dog who is freaking out over a vacuum cleaner, you can't hug me tightly and get me to hate that vacuum cleaner any less. So I'm much more yeah. like a cat, and it's just like, leave me alone. Let me go find a dark, quiet laundry hamper somewhere to ball up into until this vacuum cleaner is turned off. Yeah, I remember seeing dogs bark it and, and try and defend, which was obviously virtuous and but dumb, uh, against uh, lawnmowers. Cats flip out over uh, vacuum cleaners. It's like, God, I mean, it always makes you think, you know, I used to always love looking at them and thinking, what's really going on through their head right now? Like, who do they think I am? The 12-year-old son of this family. Like, I mean, I'll feed them at times. I take care of them. I pet them. I talk to them. But what are they, like, do, do they have any idea? And, like, the one who saw me born, she was the one, anytime I cried as a kid, would come up and lick my tears. Very, very female instincts and, and female cats and dogs. If you're born in the house and they're still alive and you get older, you will know it. They, they, there is a proprietary element of you to them. 
Well, what else do cats have an exceptional sense of? An exceptional sense of hearing. Yeah. Getting back to the vacuum cleaner thing, like that is sheer. It's just a yeah. great noise. Right. Like you do it's it like it's a means to an end. And we need these vacuum cleaners to have enough power to suck up the whatever's mm-hmm. going on on our floors. But it doesn't mean that that noise is is something other than completely annoying. Which is why the oh, give dogs. I always go back and forth. Give dogs a bonus check on this one and a, a check on the wing column. The cats, their senses, it gets too exposed and they get all pissed off. This is too loud. It's messing up my incredible hearing. Dogs take their nose in that sense and go, you know what? Let's go ahead and greet with the bunghole. It makes you wonder if the the bunghole actually uh, tastes better than any of us realize right now because that sense of smell is directly connected to the sense of taste of the olfactory. Uh, so, so maybe uh, there's something that uh, all of us are missing out in what is commonly described as like licking pennies. <laughs> Dude, I mean, once you get to 20 years in marriage and you're there, go for it, bro. Oh, God, no. 20 years of marriage is, is when you need to be running from that. <laughs> Oh my God. Um, all right. So we talked about the Cowboys. Anything else on that game? I talked about McCarthy's dumb decision, which was just crazy and and so dumb. Um, it was a nice bounce back game for Dak, but I think that that defense has some serious that that defense has some serious issues right now. Like San, San Diego or LA, excuse me, did not make plays last night. Herbert was especially bad, but there were throws to be had there. And on top of that, he didn't face a whole lot of pressure throughout the night. They ended up with one sack. It was Micah Parsons in the fourth quarter. But uh, that Dallas defense is not the force to be reckoned with that it was certainly pre-Van uh, Der Esch, but also pre-Trayvon Diggs, too. I agree with that. And I didn't watch a lot of the game. I was watching baseball. But saw enough to where I saw Digizua make some plays against a run. Um, and then obviously late, you're exactly right. They had no pass rush. I mean, Micah Parsons was absent in that game. It felt like it until it really mattered. And well, then, they're, dro- they're dropping them off the line of scrimmage at times too, which can work, but you don't want it to do too much of that. I agree. Um, totally agree. I mean, I, I don't feel like they've necessarily used their personnel. I also feel like with the whole dig steal going out, that almost was too big of a blow for them like psychologically and emotionally, defensively, like it changed. And some of that, too, is who they're playing. Dallas is going to be – this will be a very Dallas team of the last 20, 25 years and that they're going to beat up against bad teams and probably win 10 or 11 games, and they're going to be out in the first round of the playoffs. Yeah, that sounds about right. And that If is, they continue uh, this way. Dak, by the way, looked really good. Ran, actually. Yeah. Um, you know, Dak's funny. I got shit – one year on radio because I didn't put Dak in the top five or top ten, and maybe Rod or, but definitely people on text line and, and all good fun and just you know talking sports. So and it was an argument. I mean, it wasn't wasn't definitive either way. But I feel like I didn't give Dak enough love when he was at the height. It's like, well, you got to give the guy forty million a year. No, you don't. You can actually think about this and maybe move on. He played so well that next year that you couldn't move on. You're almost tied at that point to pay him. 
But it doesn't mean that me as a fan has to put him at that level. And quarterbacks have to be paid a certain amount. And we automatically think, well, that means this guy's this. No, it didn't. It means that the market is that and that if you play that position and you're good enough in the top 10, top 15, they have to fucking give you that money. I remember listening to Bears fans make the same argument about Jay Cutler. Right. Jay Cutler, I think, had a decent season, and they made him the highest-paid player in the league, and he went on to lead the league in interceptions that next year. And it's like, well, yeah, use your eyeballs to watch the guy and how he actually plays. He's not that great of a quarterback. He's adequate, but to your point, if you have that adequate option versus the rolling shit show at that position for the Bears – prior to Cutler getting there, the uh, Rex Grossman et al. era, then you are desperately clinging to that guy because he has all-star traits, even if he's never made a single Pro Bowl. And then you take into account Jay Cutler's demeanor and how terrible of a teammate he was, much less a leader at a position where you need at least some leadership skills. And it was uh, rife to turn out poorly for them, and sure, sure enough, it did. Yeah. It kind of feel, I mean, it didn't feel necessarily obviously like Cutler, but but I'll say this. The point is that I never thought he was that good, but I also almost feel like at times now he's getting too much shit. And some of it may be Mike McCarthy, and that he's not he's not that he's not that limited. And I, I understand the picks and the turnovers that he's had really the last two years. Is that concerning? Yes. Um and it probably brings him back to where he really was. But he's not dog shit. Like, no, not, the Cowboys have done Case Keenum out there, right? Yeah. Well, and the Cowboys have done him no favors with regards to getting rid of some of his favorite weapons, too. Like, obviously, the Michael Gallup injury from a couple of years ago, like, that's something that can't be helped necessarily. But you can help trading away your best wide receiver for a shitty middling draft pick which is what they did with Amari Cooper, who, by the way, is still performing for the Cleveland Browns, still playing at that high level. Just because you wanted CeeDee Lamb to be the number one guy? How about have two number ones? How about spread the ball out like that? Same thing goes with just them just assuming that they could plug a new tight end into their offensive system and not pay a price for losing Dalton Schultz, who had become Dak's safety valve over the last couple of years with Michael Gallup out with that injury. And now, now we see now CJ's CJ Stroud in Houston. Exactly. That's a good point, man. Um, no, I think there's probably a lot to that factors into it. And but um the other thing too is that Dallas's offensive line just is not as good as they were three or four years ago when it was one of the top three offensive lines in football. Mm-hmm. It's just not. Um, and you lose Frederick and you lose Collins when he was at his prime. And you lose kind of what they had with Tyron Smith in his prime. And it's just, they're just not that, they're okay. And when Dak was really good, everything was set. He could sit back there and he could fire some stuff across the middle. It never felt super vertical, but it was vertical and horizontal within the deep third. Hmm. But that took time. And they had a huge running game because of the offensive line. And so their running backs are fine. You don't have to spend money on running backs, but it also gets back to the problem of the Cowboys. The fact that you sign Zeke, you're listening to your fan base too much. You never should. Yeah. Well, Just market value. 
there were people making the argument that this offense would be different if Zeke were still a part of the team. And to those folks, Emmett Smith included, by the way, he was on a podcast recently talking about what? This. those people. I just have to shake my head. What Zeke? 2018 Zeke? Yeah, th- this isn't a running back problem. This is an aging offensive no. line problem that is no longer the dominant unit that it was five years ago. Yeah. No, that's Emmett. You know, yeah. I mean, that's he's. It's like anything. You and I laughed earlier. Anytime I hear that a head coach is going to be on a radio show <laughs> or a play-by-play guy of that team, I automatically tune out. And I have yeah. for most of my life, certainly being in the industry. You're not going to get anything from that. And if I find out that a former Dallas Cowboys running back is backing up, you know, a former Dallas Cowboys running back, who didn't get his money when Emmett sat out for his money. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to give it too much weight. Yeah, there are a select few that it makes sense to, uh, to kowtow to the demand, specifically if they're being grossly underpaid. But Zeke wasn't being grossly underpaid in that moment. He was still under contract. And if he wanted to sit out, well, you got to find that next option. And I think the Cowboys are maybe still a year away from getting Tony Pollard. So he wasn't there just yet. But, boy, the uh, the coach's press conference thing fascinates me because you and I are in the minority, for whatever reason, of people who don't give a damn about press conferences, even though it has been established over and over again throughout the years that if these guys are doing that part of the job correctly, they're not giving the press anything. No. No. Like you can ask good questions and you can get into some decent X's and O's conversations at times, but you shouldn't be getting anything in terms of a revelation on an injury to a key player because you don't want to give a competitive edge to your opponent. And if you're trying to play that gotcha game with these coaches, all they're going to do is snap back and get really sarcastic and sanctimonious towards you in return. And I don't fault them for that either, by the way, because they, they are having to get defensive in that moment, but Ultimately, you're listening to a whole lot of empty rhetoric in these pressers. Maybe it's a little bit different in post game, but especially the Monday presser that people are losing their shit over. Something that Steve Sarkeesian is saying on Monday, the week before the Houston game. Like, really? You're stopping everything to pay close attention to the details of what Steve Sarkeesian is saying the Monday before Houston. Yeah, I mean, I, I've not listened to one of his press conferences this year. I haven't had the time to on Monday, but usually Monday I'll have a little bit of time or Monday night I'll go through Twitter and just check stuff. And and there are a lot of great people, including people with Texas Sports Unfiltered, who cover that press conference or cover Sark and give us quotes, and that's great. I mean, they And also Texas is still top 10 with one loss, so you can't exactly go full bore here and without sounding like, an asshole is just trying to start stuff. You can certainly ask follow-up questions, but the the stuff I saw yesterday on Twitter was just his quotes. It, it, it was, hey, Kevin, so what are you going to do this morning? Get up and breathe. Oxygen's really big. When you get oxygen in and then you breathe it out, it, it helps out with life. I mean, so some of the quotes were, I don't know why you would even retweet that or even put it down. He's obviously giving you nothing, but it was it was laughable how little he was giving in. 
just how basic what he was talking about was. And we got a tackle in the two-minute drill. Yeah, no shit, Sherlock. How do you tackle better? How do you do that better? Yeah, we've got uh, to do a better job of getting into the end zone when we get to the red zone. Yeah, I know. Everybody sees that. Yeah, right. Yeah, got to talk, talk to each other better. The offensive line's really going to be on the same page. Oh, really? Yeah, me and my wife can't put knives in each other's throats. Um, yep. Uh, you got anything else that is the most obvious fucking thing in the goddamn world or no? I mean, I, I just kept on going through it. I thought, oh, there's nothing here. And good for you, Sark, getting back to your point. You're getting nothing. And they're also trying to get quotes, but there's only so much. They're still a top 10 team with one loss, right? <laughs> it's it's a machine that has to roll along during football season. And every day, I feel for these guys because every day you have to come up with new content. Yeah, so by the way, I'm not trying to rip on them with them. Well, I'm not ripping on them. What I'm ripping on... Because those guys are doing a job. What I'm ripping on is yeah. fans who put too much stock into the words that are said Me on too. Bingo. You can you can take a little bit more based on the raw emotions within answers given after games, after a big win or a tough loss, let's say. When you're talking about the Monday presser, and these guys have had a chance to examine game tape and take a breath and really – gain regain that full sense of composure like they should be as guarded as humanly possible you can be open with some things but like when steve sarkeesian said after the rice game that cj baxter was dealing with a rib injury i heard that and i'm like bullshit he was dealing with a shoulder injury he fell on his shoulder he was grabbing his shoulder on the sideline after the fact and even though i said as much on the shows that i did during the week I still didn't fault Sark. I still said in the same breath, and I don't have any problem with Sark trying to misrepresent that injury right there because he's trying to keep from giving the opponent a competitive edge or keep Alabama from hitting C.J. Baxter in that shoulder. Now, it doesn't right. matter because C.J. Baxter's still leading with that shoulder, but that is Sark's job to say and do what's best for his football team. And by the way, he goes above and beyond to protect his players all the time too. And I think sometimes it's bullshit and it's kowtowing just a little That's bit or it's posturing, but I completely understand why he takes the position that he, that he does. If viewers would not have cleaned up his act and, and I just, or grown up as much as he has, I would hold that against him. Like you can get to Bobby Bowden on that. What you want to be is Jimmy Johnson hmm. where at Miami, where you, you, you know, you're a father figure. They love you. They can come to you. But you also are, are brutally honest with them. Yeah. And I think that happened with Sark and, and Quinn, that it was, hey, man, I love you. Here's what you got to do to get where you want to get to, which is be a top 10 pick in the NFL and to win at Texas, because I know you love Texas. This is where we need you to get to. Privately do that. Publicly support them. And, and I mean, I'm sure whether Xavier had a broken hand or not, that behind the scenes, it was, Hey, man, we, you need to get in front of the jokes machine. You've had and, a problem with drops these last two years, hand injury or not. Yeah. Right. So let's, you know, I'm, I'm going to back you up. I got your back in front of everyone else, but here I'm going to, I'm going to be honest with you because 
for you and for us. But mainly for you. So, you know, Costanza thing. <laughs> you know, it's not you, it's me. Kind of inverted. Um, what was the other thing you mentioned that, oh, well, with, with the media, though, I also don't blame them. So let's say that you work for one of these deals, and on Monday you give the scoop that C.J. Baxter really does have a shoulder injury. Who are you helping? Who the fuck cares? I mean, you're actually helping the, at that point, the opponent, and you shouldn't treat anything as opponent, or but you're still covering this team. When to get a better nugget than that to release it? Yeah, I come at that item from the standpoint of just calling bullshit when I smell bullshit. No, you and I can, but I'm talking about them in terms of following up on that and really digging. Oh, I see. No, you're you're right about that. And the other thing, too, is that I feel like, did I do post-game that very first game? I feel like I did, and I talked about the shoulder injury. Yeah, you did. He's, he's saying rib injury on Monday, and it's like... It was the last time I've seen you, actually. What's that? It was the last time I've seen you, that first post-game. <laughs> Yeah, they're we haven't done. Hey, yeah, can I get balloons? Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be raining ice cream cones before the end of today's broadcast. Hey, you are the uh, one of the smartest people I know in general, but you are the uh, smartest uh, people I know uh, as it pertains to baseball. Hey, quickly, hold on, pause that. Anytime anyone sets you up that way, watch out. You know, for what? Anytime someone gives that type of intro, which I totally appreciate, you know, it's one of the smartest guys. I know one of the best people I know, one of the biggest hearts. Um, I mean, hell, you lay down in traffic for a woman in a wheelchair. You don't even know. Um, but he's a pedophile. Yeah. Can you loan me $20,000? No money being asked for right now, but I am right. asking for what you think we see out of Max Scherzer tomorrow night for the Rangers because this guy has established himself as a gamer throughout his career, but he's also 39 years old coming off of an arm injury that many people thought was going to be the end of his season. Well, he has continued to rehab it and feels good enough now to get out there and give this team three, four, five innings. I, I don't even know what to expect. I'm wondering what you expect. I expect three to four. I think he threw 60. BK and I talked about it and maybe get to, he got to 75. That would be great. Knowing Max, I mean, if he's healthy enough, he'll, he'll push that. But I say knowing Max, never met him. And knowing, as we all know him as a competitor, we've watched him. I do expect this to be close to Halloween. Some of the freakiest eyes we've ever seen on the mound. He's got those two colored eyes, man. Yeah. Um, and this guy is a bulldog. So my biggest question is, where's the velocity? First off, obviously, is he really healthy and doesn't he feel good? And it's not one of those three pitches in. He goes, ah, oh, fuck. Um, which I don't think he would at this point. And I don't think he felt that before. But you never know what happens at that age and, and with a guy who's had some injuries here. But where's the velocity? How's the movement? How's his feel for all of his pitches? And that may end up being number one over even velocity. But, yeah, I, I think it sets up well. They haven't had to go to Gray, Haney, or Dunning. So you go right, left, right, and you can set all them up. And Dunning and Haney have been in the bullpen enough. Gray, not really. Gray is probably more the guy that you really have to let know, hey, we're going to you in the fourth inning here. 
in the second inning, get ready for this shit. Um, you're a starter. It takes longer. You're not used to this, but we want to make sure you're ready to go. And Bochy's so great at that. Maddox is so great at that, that I think they're in a good spot here. But the fact that he's even going out there is so nice. So you don't have to go to Martin Perez or Haney. It'd probably be Haney or Dunning who would have gone. Oh, I didn't even think about Martin Perez. You're right. He can give you more than uh, an inning or a little bit more than an inning. Yeah, you got him back there. I mean, he's the starter. He was, and he was really good last year. It's been a bit of a roller coaster ride for him this season as a starter and a guy coming out of the bullpen, too. And, oh, my goodness. I just thought about Martin Perez, former Rangers starter Martin Perez in the playoffs. He is uh, one of those guys who goes very much deer in headlights in big pressure situations. So maybe we stay away from our team Perez tomorrow if it's a close game. Yeah, maybe, maybe do that. I mean, it, it's you're in a good spot. You had a four seven seven ERA. You can't have talked about it. I mean, you guys, you guys, you know, you had thirty three blown saves and thirty saves on the year. Yeah, yeah. yeah you realize no one's ever made that, that last night. What's up? I said they showed that stat. Yeah, I mean, yeah. No, if you've watched any of the Rangers game, I think they've shown it every single game. And I would, too. I think producers and directors shove way too much up our ass. But that one is mainly because no one's ever made the playoffs doing that. Now you're up 2-0 and have won 7. You're 7-0, and and no one's really even been that dominant. You've trailed for one inning. Like, it's really amazing what's going on, which worries me as someone who's watched the Rangers all year and likes the team organically and has got best friends that live and die with this stuff and Cubs aren't in it, I, you know, having y'all happy wouldn't be bad. Um, but the fact they've been able to do it this way is almost scares me because they have been that win seven in a row, lose four in a row type team this year. <laughs> Why Which I don't think they will. I don't think they're losing four in a row. I'll put that on the record. Now you're not going to hear me speak with any confidence about this team winning the ALCS until they have won the ALCS, if that does end up happening. Right. And even then, this could be one of those teams where you guys go play, let's say it's Philly, and you think bullpen has been great. ERA at 2.3. Starting pitching has been great. You trust the lineup. So, I mean, which you should have all year. We talked about it when Young was out, Time was out, Seeger's out. It's hard to get all that back, and now they're clicking at the right time. Some of that's just luck and timing, but that with Tavares doing what he's doing, that's one through nine, tough. Kevin Carter bringing him up. There's been a lot of good moves. But I, you guys can play the Phillies for the World Series, and I know that most of y'all who are worth your salt, and you're that, would say, I still don't trust our bull. No, I am going to watch. Uh, I'm going to watch freaking Chapman come into the game. Yep. And know that he's going to be throwing the ball all over the outside part of that rectangle that supposedly depicts the strike zone, which, by the way, I mean, do we, how much more evidence do we need that either the computers need to be calling balls and strikes or we need the ability? For these guys to, guys to double check calls, and this isn't a Rangers getting screwed thing. This is watching it. No, happen. it's not. This is more a shot at me, people. Because not a shot at you because you're on board with this. You were on board with this a couple of years ago too. I know, but like in 2004, you told me this should happen. 
is fucking guys over unnecessarily. I know. No, but yeah, so I've been on board actually for a long time, I think, for a baseball guy. And Trey's the one who got me there. But Trey was on this in, I went in 2004, but it was early. You were, you were beyond early on when most of us were like, no, there's got to be a better way. It's literally been 10 years at this point because it started right. in Chicago and then. And I think I'm five years in, am I not? Four or yeah, five? I would say, yeah, five, yeah. five, six years in. There was. It took a long it, time. It was, I feel like it was the playoffs where you were like, you know what? That's it. I'm done. Like, yeah. I can't do this anymore. I had to watch this completely screw a team over. Yeah. It's bullshit. It's unnecessary. We have the technology to keep this from happening. So, you know, my biggest issue early on is like with most stuff, with vaccines or anything, the efficacy of it. Like, I mean, how how legit is this? And I didn't trust the technology early on. And it's gotten a lot better, by the way. Yeah. And it's gotten to a point, it was probably eight, nine, ten years ago where Trey said it's gotten to a point we're good now. You're right. And it got to a point to where it's it may not be perfect, but it's it's better than what we have. And and you know, growing up with baseball. Pro and college baseball guys would always tell me that's part of the game. You have to adjust to it. Yeah, but that's almost like saying, you know, I have to adjust to this government and their dictatorial. You know, you know, it's a it's a dictatorship, but I have to adjust to it because it's life. Well, no, I mean, uh, you're being practical about it, and I appreciate that. And we all have to do that in life. But in something like this, if we can make it better, we have the opportunity. If you have the opportunity to leave a place that is crime ridden and sucks leave if you yeah. don't you gotta stick with it i get it you know it's called moving out of california people or moving out of canada i want to say that okay what we're moving out of canada with what justin trudeau has done over these last couple of years and you're right the technology is there now they're they are using it at the highest levels of the minors which is the step before implementing it at the major league level and it i would have no problem with it being every call and you literally getting a green or red light based on whether it's a ball or strike. But if nothing else, allow the humans to still call the balls and strikes. But just like in the minors, give the batter the opportunity to give a little wave or tap on the helmet or something to signify that he wants to challenge that call. And very quickly, that light pops up behind home plate. It's either actually a ball or stays a ball or is actually a strike or whatever whatever the reverse of that is. Yeah, I mean, you probably start there and then and then go to what you're talking about. And I've got no problem, too, if there's a buzzer where, mm. like, in the guy's ass. Because they, they already have that. I mean, their whole ass is butt-plugged like, like, you know, a Bukaki video right now. Well, the Astros tested out that beta technology back in, what, 2017 anyhow, too, didn't they? <laughs> Maybe they did. That's the other thing, too. If you're that big of a criminal, you know, I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe you were raping puppies. No, I wasn't. Well, you were getting close to that, so I don't know what you did. I like how you went chess cheating with where the uh, with where the buzzer is going to be located on the umpires and their anus. The what? Chess cheating? The che- the cheating in the in chess, professional chess where you had a guy who became one of the top-ranked players in the world, maybe the number one-ranked player in the world, and they caught him cheating, including at times, this is the theory, having a buzzer crammed up his anus. (laughs) He was receiving signals signals on what move he needed to make. 
Dude, it's the most action that kid or guy's ever gotten in his life. So let let him fucking go for it, you know. It's two for one. I finally got laid, kind of, and you know, I am playing a chess deal, which is on TV. <laughs> in fairness, it's only the most action he's gotten since he sat on a queen at the age of fifteen. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my God. Hey, can I give a PSA to all my friends here? Ooh, please do. Including Justine. Uh-oh. I had a good weekend, man. Fun weekend. Love my job. Love my friends. Love my family. I truly am blessed. I mean, I, I've, got a, I've got a good life. And you know I'm authentically happy. Mainly because I make all my decisions, which is great. Um <clears throat> Yeah, Tommy's nice. I didn't mean to rub that one in. Sorry, buddy. But to any of my friends or their wives or girlfriends, primarily them, go ahead and talk to me before you set me up. Mm. So if we meet up for drinks, not given any names, and the guys I love in this situation, hell, their girlfriends' wives I love in this situation, good people. But there's just something instinctually with women. They just have to set you up. They, they, they have to set you up. And men and women who are single, not all of them are looking to be set up. They may be happy. And I know right away, I've, I've had this discussion with plenty of girlfriends or guys, wives or girlfriends. And that you think that's pathetic and that there's some empty spot in your dark soul to where psychologically you need to figure that out. Doubtful. Maybe doubtful. But the broad you're bringing over for drinks right now is certainly not the one to figure that out. And so just no sneak attacks anymore. I appreciate it. You think I'm eligible enough. It also gets to a weird point where you bring over a two. And I'm thinking, you know, you bring over this squatty thing. And and, and she's got the, you know, if Adolf and Ava Braun would have had a kid, she has her personality and character and likability, which is not much. Just go ahead and like let us know. Um, and they can subtly do that with while well, I'm inviting one of my friends over here. All right, well, we can just this is not this is not Chuck Woolery who's coming in with a mic as she walks in, right? It's just one of your friends, and I can just talk to her as a friend, even though we both may be heterosexual and single, right? And then you've got the other one where I mean, it's just women are so into that. Men are only into that because. Men, at some point in relationships, misery loves company. I don't think women are doing it because of misery loves company. Men are doing it because of that. Because if you have to be dragged to half of the places you fucking go to in your life against your will, and you really don't want to be there, meaning if you were all by yourself and someone said, do you want to go to the kite festival? You'd go, are you kidding me? Give me a 12-gauge. But you have to go. And so I get it. At that point, you're stuck. 
and you'd rather have a buddy there who's got to be there with you. It'll make the time a lot better. I get that. It's misery loves company. It's sadistic and weird, but the women are doing it out of really, I, I want to set y'all up. I mean, Melissa's miserable. Well, if Melissa's miserable and I'm happy and we're both single, what the hell do I have to do to turn this mood around? Because she sees Melissa as only being miserable because she doesn't have that special someone in her life. She sees you as an exceptional catch, a good-looking guy who's smart and funny. None of it. And yeah, a little bit bitter towards the world. And so she thinks... <laughs> he, might be, he finally said one true thing there. You might hear all those things. You might be the, the difference maker in helping her to lead a happier, more satisfying life. I won't be. I, I, I won't give her enough attention. I've already been in... Hold on. I've already been in enough relationships. I'm not doing this to try and rescue some fucking psychotic kitten. All right. Ain't doing it. Ain't doing it. Looking for a Siamese who was bred somewhere and preferably old and has money. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I'm not like, I just don't. It's just been so much of my life. And, and it's the men that I really get on. It's the men that go, hey, man. I didn't know she was going to do that. I'm like, no, you knew about Melissa. You knew she was psychotic. You knew this was going to ruin the night. What are you doing? Yeah. And by the way, my weekend experiences, and I'm not just saying that because both guys will probably watch because we've laughed about it. It was not that. It was not on them. It was on on their woman, and it's what they do. Dude, women women do that like, like men give white lies about going to see their buddies at a bar after work. You know, I'm going to stop by and get some laundry. Just tell her you're getting a couple beers with the guys and you need that, okay? And if she gives you that much shit for it, y'all don't need to be together. Yeah, a couple of thoughts here. One, you said that this is a PSA to all the ladies out there, Justine included. You don't have to worry about Justine hooking you up because she's had enough conversations with you to know that even if she had somebody in mind, that is not your game. And that is not a game that she wants to engage in either because she's also seen how sideways it can go if it does indeed go sideways. No, I've, I've also looked up with Justine's friends before, your wedding included. Yeah. and yeah. Uh, But she was great. That was a one-time deal and we both agreed on it. And like she wasn't trying to call me after. She's had other friends who have talked to me but had nothing to do with Justine. And I took that as a total compliment that they were even hitting on me. And so, you know, it's all good. And that's, that's organic. We're at a spot and, and there's, you know, a, a group gathering and a party and someone's there and she shows me interest. I'm like anyone. I'm like, you know, I, I I'm, I, I'm not humbled by it, but I'm, but I, I'm, you know, I think that's awesome. That's cool. Thank you. You know, but it's not Justine setting up JFK taking a left turn. Yeah. Mm. Point number two, because there's three points here. Point number two, there's only one time that I can think of in our friendship where I have set you up with somebody, but it wasn't intentional. It was us in town or us just having moved back and we all got together as a group and she was she was a friend of mine and you were a friend too and y'all had interesting conversations. There was no intent there though. I wasn't inviting you both to try and set you up, but after the fact, like, hey- can I get her phone number and give her a call? I'm like, yeah, of course. Yeah. Check with her first. She was cool with it. And y- y'all went out. Didn't end up working out. But 
that's the one time. And there, but there well, was say it didn't end up working out. I mean, it worked out for me. It did work out for you, actually. No, no, but I also really, I mean, I'm not just trying to get played now. I mean, I I would like to have, I mean, I'm okay. Don't give me those eyes. Well, I was thinking, she, I was thinking what, what derailed that whole thing. It was her becoming extremely overbearing really fast with you. And you're like, nope, this isn't, this isn't going to work. Yep. Yep. Scared me away, man. Scared the fish away. I'm not, I'm not super bright with the relationships. I've got the emotional maturity of a of a minnow, so you don't 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 scare it away. You can get, you, once they hook me, once I get in relationships, you know this. I also don't want to get out of it, and I'll tell you, and you're like, dude, you need to get out of that relationship. This isn't healthy. I'm like, yeah, but she's got her Colgate over here, and you know she'll, you know, not the last one, but the one before. She cooks, and you know we're cool, and like you know I just. It's hard for me to get in, hard for me to get out, although easier for me to get out. And so the third point, and this speaks to, I guess, what happened this last weekend, is you have to understand the person that you're trying to hook up. And it's one thing if my friend Bill, who hates his job, hates his life, is really out of shape and has no prospects, if you introduce him to a Weeble with a personality to boot... (laughs) <laughs> then that might work. But if I were to ever consider hooking you up with somebody, she would need to be attractive, smart, and have a good sense of humor. Right. So if, if she's missing any of those things, then it's like not even, it's a non-starter. Yeah. And by the way, he's setting me up nicely there. I got any issues too. Y'all have listened to me and watched me forever. So you know that. Like, I mean, it's not like I'm, you know, it's like one of the girlfriends I had, remember I told you her sister told me? Like, she's like, you know, take care of our princess. Like, after we met, I literally, I looked at her. Of course, I can't help myself. Another reason I'm single. And said, you mean her? She's like, yeah, our princess. Like, I fucking live with her. She is no princess. And by the way, Bob, Cindy, Trey, BK, any of my friends or family say I'm a prince. They're completely full of shit and they know they're being full of shit. Like we're all flawed people. It's about finding that, that right dynamic, you know? Yeah. I'm pretty sure a princess wouldn't lick my roll of uh, my rolled up penny. Um, container. <laughs> well, that's what, that's the only reason I paused and thought maybe she is a princess. You know what? She may even be a queen. I think the whole notion or the whole need to that's set how, up. That's how Queen Elizabeth got, got, got along so far. <laughs> Is that too soon? I mean, she was fucking 105, dude. Oh, fuck that old racist bitch. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I think the whole princess thing and the whole need to set other people up thing, they come from the same place. They come from this idealized belief of what a happy life is supposed to look like. Right. Yep. You need to live that princess existence where you meet your prince and you fall in love, get married, and live happily ever after. But that is... I get it why we tell our kids those stories, but it's also important to be honest with the kids too and tell them that the princess lifestyle, if you're living a princess lifestyle as an adult, you suck as a human. One of the things I love about Trey as a dad, I heard him the other day with Calvin saying, you know what? Like nothing's going to be romantic. Sometimes you got to slap a hoe around. And I thought, you know, he's seven. I mean, he's six. And I thought, yeah, it's probably, 
a little too soon, but uh, no, no, you're right. But I also grew up with those idealistic notions. I mean, I, I, you can hear me now even at 45, and I'm, I'm well aware over years now. It's not like my bubble burst too late on that. But as a kid, I just thought adults were adults. Well, okay, I had to get over that at some point and saying that was idealistic and not real. And I think certainly women, but men too, but certainly women have to get over. There are no perfect relationships, but they're also running the house right. I mean, look at sitcoms and commercials to where I'm going to play 50-50. I'm a meritocracy guy. I don't discriminate with anything. So, but that also means that we're 50-50. Like, I'm not going to play Jim Belushi character in your fucking sitcom and be the loser douchebaggy husband. (laughs) No, sorry. I'm going to be me. I'm going to say some shit that you don't like. Maybe in front of your friends. You're going to do the same to me. Let's not lose our shit. We're really into the relationship. Yeah, I think that's very well said. Uh, It's five o'clock. Are we done? You have anything else you want to talk about? Oh, I've got like 20 more minutes on this. Let's save it for later. Let's go. Let me think. I've uh, been writing down my thoughts recently. Let me think. uh, Let me see if I have anything good to end it on. Um, question in the last two years of his life, was it still okay for Michael Jackson to say the N word? <laughs> that is fucking great. I don't think so. I mean, mainly because of the pedophile stuff, you know, black people get enough shit thrown on them that they, that they don't want, you know, it's like, Fucking keep that away from me. That's true. Um, there's a lot of handicap parking, a lot of curbside pickup parking now. Can we figure out a way to combine these two things, please? Totally agree. Really too many fucking spaces and parking lots. Totally agree. The Walgreens up here. I mean, there are a couple spots that they turned into text in grab or whatever. No, I've never seen anyone get shit delivered out there. They don't have enough people in there. Walgreens is about to close here like it closed in every other fucking city because people just, you know, a bunch of homeless people go in there and steal shit, which I think if homeless people need real food, then we should supply them to them. But that's not the way to operate a business, and we can't deal with that. And a lot of them aren't even homeless. There's people, thugs going in there and and criminals and taking shit. So yeah, the trust of like Combine both. Yeah. Trustafarians who lived their lives as drag rats back in the 1990s. Hell, they probably still do for all we know. Oh, pretty much, man. You got, you got, we got some, uh, some funky ass, funky ass white dudes with, with dreads here. Speaking of parking lots, there is a serious pandemic going on right now. I'm not even fucking with you on this. Cause I've seen it like seven or eight times in the last couple of months of people who are incapable of pulling all the way into their parking spot. But not just that. It's not like they're like a couple feet off of where the edge of the spot is. I'm talking about people pulling halfway into the spot, turning the car off and getting out and going shopping. Yep. I've seen it. I've seen it too. In the way of the person next to you, you're blocking the lane that people are supposed to be driving down through this parking lot. Like what the hell is going on here? Is this all senior citizens who need to be, tested annually 
No. Whether or not they can still drive these 2,000-pound killing machines? It gets worse as the generations go down, and mainly because of a lot of things. But when you see, when you're bombarded every day with people getting the shit beaten out of them, when you've got uh, half the cities or a lot of the big cities burning down and the media is telling you it's a good thing, when you've got... Go through. I mean, just the way people are treated now, the crime stuff we just talked about, that there's a mindset that subconsciously and certainly with the younger generation turns into fuck other people. And one of the things I loved about Austin growing up and loved about any real good society is when you really care about people that you don't know. And if you have to play the game because you're not morally or internally a good enough human being to, but still play the game of, well, how would I want to be treated? Go for it. I don't, I don't care what makes this work or makes you act like a civilized adult, but do it. And I think it was a combination of the social media. Yeah, people just getting fucking stabbed, mugged, killed, shit beaten out of them. Shit's burning on fire. We're robbing this store, robbing that store, robbing that person, killing that person. That, yeah, I mean, I think that plays into the mindset of, well, let me get let me get mine, too. And also screw everyone else. And that's what I feel. with that. Yeah, the good luck everyone else mindset infuriates me. I think it speaks to why we're doomed as a society. You see it in ca- catastrophic situations where everybody thinks starts to think about the other people again, but it very quickly devolves back into what it has become. Like, think about the ice storm catastrophe from a couple of years ago and how the community were really banded together to try and help one another yeah. out. Like, it was, it was pretty truly, cool, man. It, it was actually really cool. It was truly inspirational. But then think back to the start of COVID, where everybody was kind of looking out for one another at the beginning. But like a month or two into it, it becomes a complete powder keg. Yeah. And, and it, all, it also became political and stuff right. becomes. Like, I think the racism stuff, is racism still exist in America? Of course it does. It exists all over the world, and it always will. But if you look at where it was 50, 30, 20, even probably 10 years ago, it's moving in the right direction and getting better. Doesn't mean we still can't fix it, but it's social, it's social class. And the elites don't want to ever tell you that. This is a socioeconomic deal. We're going to turn it as gay versus straight, black versus white. The racism deal is the easiest thing for them to confuse that with. But it's really about the super rich are getting richer and the elites are getting more elite. And the majority of us, and they don't want it to know it's a majority. They can split it up in races and other stuff and make it seem like less of a 98 to 2 thing. But they're, they, they're the ones that are only adding to the fuel that we've seen since the pandemic and the way they, the way that the uh, politicians dealt with the pandemic and also the race wars or the, 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 you know, any of these movements, I mean, on its surface, black lives matter, me too movement. Well, yeah, who doesn't agree with that? And then black lives matter gets hijacked by, by which I called on the radio before it happened. Me too goes a little too far maybe this way when you forget about what the object is. Yes, women should not be sexually harassed. Yes, black people's matters, lives matter too. Yes. 
a majority of Americans actually truly believe that, whether you want to believe it or not. But that can be turned around very quickly to where it turns into we're on a side, a side of the fence and throwing bombs at each other. Damn, we're just starting to cook right now, but I need we need to end the broadcast because uh, BK has got to get to a Texas basketball scrimmage tonight. Great stuff, man. Yep, always good. Talk to you guys later. All right, love you, brother. All right, thank you to everybody for watching and listening today. If you have not already, please do subscribe to the Texas Sports Unfiltered YouTube channel, and you can also download our free app through Apple or Android. For Kevin Dunn and everybody else at Texas Sports Unfiltered, I am Trey Elling. Thank you for watching and listening today. We'll talk to you tomorrow starting at 8. In the meantime, hook them.